0: Hello and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs.
1: To today's session of Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. We're very pleased to have you here today with us. Please remember to turn off your cell phones. I'm Bev Mendel Atherstone, I'm your moderator. Just to let you know, this session is being recorded. Please put $11 in the basket at your table and have someone count it before the baskets are picked up. SACPA is a volunteer nonprofit organization in its 48th session, and contributions of its members and session attendees help cover expenses. We encourage you to buy memberships, and please see Annalise von Oers, our Administrative Manager, to purchase or renew your membership. Thank you to our partners, the University of Lethbridge, for support and distribution of notices, for Country Kitchen Catering, to be able to create a great lunch, irrespective of our numbers, to Shaw TV, Channel 9, for broadcasting our sessions several times weekly, including nightly at 7 p.m., to CKXU, 88.3 FM Radio Live, and to the Lethbridge Herald, as well as other media covering our events. The format of our meeting is 25 to 30 minutes for the presentation, then for lunch, and then for question period, 30 minutes each. We will finish around 1.30 p.m. Our presenters today are Robin Gibb, an associate professor at the Department of Neuroscience at the University of Lethbridge. Her research is funded by the Natural Sciences, Engineering and Council of, Engineering Council of Canada. She investigates parental influence on brain development and recovery from early brain injury. She is currently studying the effectiveness of improving adult capacity in parent caregivers of preschoolers by increasing their knowledge about executive function and early literacy. Robin is a proud mother of two and grandmother of seven. Lavonne Rideout is our second speaker. She grew up as the fifth of six children on a mixed farm near Pincher Creek. Helping the next generation get a good start has been a motivating goal during her 30 years in early learning and childcare. As part of the provincial government's drive to increase childcare spaces, she was given the mandate to create 500 new childcare spaces in her region over three years. She and her team created more than 2,000 new spaces in two years by engaging communities from the start. For the past five years, Le bon has worked passionately do- doing community development for the Early Childhood Development Mapping Project. She has five sons and can now add Grandma as a favorite title. Please welcome our speakers, Dr. Robin Gibb and LaVonne Rideout. Good afternoon.
2: It's a real pleasure for me to be here with you today because we're gonna talk about something that both LaVonne and I are very passionate about and that is that we need to pay more attention to our little people so we can all benefit in society. So I wanted to first tell you about how important early experiences are in the brain. It's something that we've been talking about for decades and decades, but when I was in university in the 70s, it used to be a debate. Is it nature or nurture who makes you, or that makes you who you become? And now we know it truly is both, that your experiences, actually are the masters of how your DNA is expressed and as a result of that, you become an entirely different person than you may have been with a different set of experiences under your belt. It also turns out that the very early experiences, the ones that happen in the prenatal period and up till about age five, have the most profound impact on the way our genes are expressed. Now that picture in the corner is Terry Harlow and he's working with a monkey, a baby monkey who's had its natural mother taken away and instead was given a surrogate mother. He studied these monkeys as they grew up and discovered that they were very maladjusted. They didn't know how to interact with other members of their species. And so as a result of that, he was one of the first people to understand that our early experiences have a profound impact on the way our brain later develops and how our behavior takes over the rest of our lives. So, here we have an illustration of our DNA, the chromosome shown here, wrapped around um, DNA, wrapped around histones making the chromosome. And you can see these little methyl groups on the DNA. Those methyl groups are put there and taken off by your experience. And so, we call that the signature effect because signature is actually an endorsement of our experience to have certain genes expressed, other genes not expressed. So, our experience truly is the master of our genome. And I just wanted to illustrate how important these interactions are. So we have our genes, and the kinds of things that happen in nurture, our stimulation, our experiences, our nutrition, and that works together to form the field of epigenetics, which control our gene function, and various neurobiological pathways are impacted as a result of this, including our physical health, our mental health, our behavior, and our ability to learn and understand.
0: So I have a little video. Science tells us that the experiences we have in the first years of our lives actually affect the physical architecture of the developing brain. This means that brains aren't just born, they're also built over time based on our experiences. Just as a house needs a sturdy foundation to support the walls and roof, a brain needs a good base to support all future development. Positive interactions between young children and their caregivers literally build the architecture of the developing brain. Building a sturdy foundation in the earliest years provides a good base for a lifetime of good mental function and better overall health. So just how is a solid brain foundation built and maintained in a developing child? One way is through what brain experts call serve and return interactions. Imagine a tennis match between a caregiver and a child, but instead of hitting a ball back and forth across a net, various forms of communication pass between the two, from eye contact to touch, from singing to simple games like peek These interactions repeated throughout a young person's developing years are the bricks that build a healthy foundation for all future development. But another kind of childhood experience shapes brain development too, and that's stress. Good kinds of stress, like meeting new people or studying for a test, are healthy for development because they prepare kids to cope with future challenges. Another kind of stress, called toxic stress, is bad for brain development. If a child is exposed to serious ongoing hardships like abuse and neglect, and he has no other caregiver in his life to provide support, the basic structures of his developing brain may be damaged. Without a sturdy foundation to properly support future development, he is at risk for a lifetime of health problems, development issues, even addiction. It's possible to fix some of the damage of toxic stress later on, but it's easier, more effective, and less expensive to build solid brain architecture in the first place. One of the things that sturdy brain architecture supports is the development of basic emotional and social skills. An important group of skills which scientists call executive function and self-regulation can be thought of like air traffic control in the child's mental airspace. Think of a young child's brain as the control tower at a busy airport. All those planes landing and taking off and all of the support systems on the ground simultaneously demand the controller's attention to avoid a crash. It's the same with a young child learning to pay attention, plan ahead and remember, and follow lots of rules. Like all of us, kids have to react to things happening in the world around them, while also dealing with worries, temptations, and obligations on their minds. As these demands for attention pile up, air traffic control helps a child regulate the flow of information, prioritize tasks, and above all, find ways to manage stress and avoid mental collisions along the way. Having this ability is a necessity for positive and level mental health. Developing effective air traffic control, overcoming toxic stress, and building solid brain architecture are things kids can't do on their own. And since strong societies are made up of healthy, contributing individuals, it's up to us as a community to make sure all young people have the kinds of nurturing experiences they need for positive development. To build better futures, we need to build better brains.
2: That video really covers everything I'm gonna tell you again in the next 10 minutes or so. Uh, This video is freely available from the Alberta Family Wellness Initiative and you can show it to anybody you like. We've left little questionnaires at your table to ask if you've seen it before. Could you tell us your postal code? Because both Lavon and I are members of an innovation team supported by Alberta Family Wellness Initiative, and we're taking the data back, uh, analyzing the data, and trying to figure out if this little video is being shared widely amongst Albertans and if we're understanding the early brain story. Okay, so. Uh, just a recap of the video. is telling us that we need a strong foundation for a sturdy brain. We need to protect children from toxic stress. We need to develop strong air traffic control skills in their brains, and that truly is their executive function, which we'll talk about briefly. And then the possibility of serve and return and how important it is to develop sturdy brain architecture, and that is loving, nurturing relationships with children. So when we can support children, we can develop their brains in very positive ways. So we're going to start by talking about my top three factors to brain development. We'll talk first about attachment and relationships, the serving return. And here is, I think, one of the most uh, life-changing books I've ever read for me. And this was a book by Santa Greenstone and Terry Brazelton, The Irreducible Needs of Children, What Every Child Must Have to grow, learn, and flourish. And what they talk about in this book are the seven needs of children. Now, Sandy Greenspan is one of the most well-known child psychiatrists in North America, Terry Brazelton, a pediatrician. They use the Brazelton score in most nurseries across North America. They got their good heads together, and they came up with this list, and it starts with physical protection for children, that they need to understand that someone's got their back, their parents are caring for them, and they're safe. They need to have experiences that are tailored to their individual differences and their interests and they also have to have developmentally appropriate experiences they need to know what the limits are. They need to know their rules in their lives. And children love to report if anyone's broken the rules. So that's one of the reasons why they need to know this. And they also have to be in stable and supportive communities where there's some cultural continuity. And I think that's something that we're losing in Lethbridge, and we need to fight hard to get back. Because when I grew up in this city, I knew everybody on my block and the block next and over. And that not does not seem to be the case. It doesn't seem to carry forward so much anymore because... We have a mobile, a very transient uh, population of young families in the city. We need to make sure that we're supporting them with that community support that can make a difference for families. And they need to know that their future is protected. But the number one need is their need for ongoing nurturing relationship. And that's something all of us can do. We all have the capability to be nurturers for our young people. The next thing is air traffic control that I wanted to talk about or executive function. In order for a child to be successful in school and in life, they have to have well-developed executive function. And it turns out that their adults and their environment have a big impact on how this develops in children before they enter kindergarten. And creativity, flexibility, self-control, self-discipline, all of the things that make a child delightful to have in the classroom are things that can be worked on in a child before they enter school. It turns out that those executive functions are more important than IQ in predicting a child's success in school. So if we can work on these little traits that little people have, and even make small improvements, it can make a big difference for their outcomes in school and in life. Interestingly, there's just new work out by Harvard that shows you can train this as early as the first year of life. So we have four solid years to start working on little ones to make sure they truly are ready for kindergarten when they get there. And I just wanted to point out that there has been lots and lots of studies on executive function. And children who have been identified with low executive function between the ages of 3 and 11 are more stressed. They're more lonely. They're less physically fit. They have worse health outcomes as adults, and they earn less money, and they commit more crime. So if we can make a difference for our little people in those early years by supporting executive function and supporting parents' understanding of how to interact with the children, we can make small improvements in their executive function, and this will translate in a society to vast improvements in our health, our wealth, and a lower crime rate. So truly, it is a good investment. It is the best time to invest your money than any other time in the human lifespan. So we need to consider, do we let these children fail or do we help them be successful for the rest of their lives? And then the last thing is managing stress. So we need to avoid toxic stress. And in order to do that, we have to have support for the children, the families that they grow up in, the neighborhoods that they find themselves in, because a lot of what we know about toxic stress is, it starts programming your stress reactivity for the rest of your life and this happens again in the early years. So if you have positive levels of stress, the green stress that you saw in the video, or tolerable stress, you develop a stress reactivity as an adult that when you find yourself in a stressful situation, you can manage it. Your brain kicks in, you start to problem solve, your body is optimized to get this problem sorted out, and then you, you solve the problem and you move on. And that's exactly what our stress system is supposed to do. But if you're exposed to toxic stress as a child, you develop a stress reactivity that is completely wonky as an adult. So you, when you find yourself in a stressful situation, you have an increased stress reactivity, your heart starts beating, you really don't know what to do, you feel at a loss, and your stress levels stay up for a very long period of time. That's not what's supposed to happen. If you have that kind of stress reactivity, you're at greater risk for heart disease, cardiopulmonary disease, type 2 diabetes, obesity, alcoholism, and affective disorders. So if we get it right for our little people, they have better health in their 50s. We know from work done by Vince Spalletti and his colleagues, and they first started by studying 17,000 middle-aged adults in California who were coming to the clinic with a variety of problems. Vince was particularly interested in people who had obesity issues. And he just gave them, everybody who came in, uh, a questionnaire and asked them if they've ever had an adverse childhood experience. And what he discovered was those experiences are far more common than anybody thought. We used to believe that children are resilient and they're exactly the opposite because experience changes their genome. And as a result of that, it changes which genes are being expressed and they bear that signature mark of those adverse childhood experiences for the rest of their lives. The frontal lobe, the part that manages their executive function, is particularly sensitive. So we know that emotional abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, witnessing a mother treated violently, household use of drugs or alcohol, and this really should read abuse of drugs or alcohol, presence of mental illness in the family, parental separation or divorce, or an incarcerated household member, all of these things are adverse childhood experiences. And people people said they had more than three of these, three or more they had more issues with their physical and mental health. So if we think of a child as a scale, you can pile on positive experiences, you can pile on negative experiences, but ultimately you want this scale to swing towards the positive for healthy outcomes for that child. So when we think about investing in early childhood, we can talk about paying it forward, because neuroeconomists tell us that your return on investment is better at this time of life than at any other, And that generations to come will benefit because if we get it right for our children, they'll get it right for theirs and so on and so forth. So we can actually be paying it forward and building a healthier future for our citizens in Alberta and in Canada by getting this right now. I just wanted to also point out that we can all make a difference by understanding what's a problem, making sure that those positive experiences are happening, and using our good minds to get together and come up with ways to problem-solve to make sure we're doing everything we can to support
3: these children. So the next little bit, I get to talk to you about a project that's been going on here in the province of Alberta. So the Early Child Development Mapping Project. was a five-year project that was initiated in 2009 uh, through the Ministry of Education. Um, right across the, the country, there's been uh, a collection of early development instruments to determine how well our children are doing. Alberta's one of the last provinces to come on board, and they started doing this, but they decided we not only just want to collect the information, we want to figure out then how do we get this information and get it out to our communities so that we can make it usable. So the uh, Ministry of Education contracted with, uh, they put out a proposal, the U of A was actually the successful candidate, and we started the, the project and we've been moving it forward. That project wrapped its, uh, wrapped up at the end of August of this year, and we now have a baseline of how well children are doing right across the province, and so I'm here to share that information with you, giving you a baseline of how Alberta is doing, but more importantly, what's happening right here in Lethbridge for our children. So we with, with our project here in, in Leth area in Alberta, we, are, we decided to look at three data sets. We only didn't want to find out how well our children are doing. We wanted to look at some of the influencing factors that surrounded that. So we also looked at their socioeconomic information, as well as what are some resources that are surrounding the children within the community. So one of the first things that we were tasked with is going out to the community and talking to them, and they created 100 coalitions right across the province. So this gives you a quick little snapshot of uh, where those coalitions were and, and what was happening. So the coalitions, what we wanted to do is bring this to the, to the communities. So we went out, there was a group of 10 of us who went out to the community to find out who are the movers and shakers, who are those that are passionate about doing things for children in our community, and we created community coalitions so that we had someone who we could bring the data and the information to. Um, the, the coalitions were made up of many, many different uh, factors within, within the communities themselves. And they contributed to the research and the data. So the information I'm sharing not only came from an amazing team that I was able to work with, but came from the community, and I'm able to bring that forward to you. To just give you a quick snapshot of some of the people who sat on, we actually did a look at across the province who are the key people who actually sat on the coalition. So you get a quick snapshot and see um, some of the people who actually made, it, made the makeup on those coalitions. So the data I'm going to share with you is actually from the Early Development Instrument. So just to give you a quick foundation of what that is. Um, the EDI is a population-based measure, so it's not giving us information on individual children. It's giving us information on how well a community is doing. Um, the surveys give us a snapshot of what's happening right across the province, and the questionnaires were actually filled out by the kindergarten teachers. So the EDI was collected between the years 2009 and 2013. Um, we asked that the school divisions gather the information twice, so that we didn't—we got a, a more rounded snapshot. Um, approximately 1,100 schools actually participated and gave us a total of 6,564, of which we could use just over 70,000 because of some of the things that we needed to pull out. Um, so those two rounds of data actually gave us the baseline of which I'm going to share with you. When we look at the, the EDI categories, when I share the information, you need to know that it was broken down into to the three categories. Developing appropriately, uh, experiencing difficulty, and experiencing great difficulty. So this is a quick snapshot of how Alberta is doing in those five different areas. So we actually look at the EDI collects information on five key areas of child development. So physical health and well-being. It looks at uh, social competence, emotional maturity, language and thinking skills, as well as communication skills and general knowledge. So of our 70,000-plus questionnaires, that's the results that we actually show for um, our province. So let's look at that in a little bit of a different way. So when we we look at Alberta and we compare it to the Canadian norm, we can see that Alberta, as rich as we are, um, we're actually falling behind the Canadian average. So we know that... um, Experiencing great difficulty in one or more areas, and experiencing great difficulty in two or more areas. Alberta is significantly behind the Alberta average or the Canadian average. More importantly, if we actually look at this, so if we want to see how children are doing and developing appropriately in all five areas, you can actually see that less than half of our children, so forty-six point four percent of our children, are actually developing appropriately in all five of those areas. But we also know that there's a great difference between the different communities right across the province. So you can actually see in one of our communities, the highest, the, the community that was doing the strongest, 73.1% was, was developing appropriately in all five areas. That's a great target for us to hit. We want to find out what was that community doing and how did they get the results that they got. Unfortunately, one of our communities, only 16.4% were developing appropriately. So you can see a great range across the province on what's happening. But for me, less than half of our children doing well, we've got some work cut out for us. So let's just do a quick summary of that. So less than half, 46% are developing appropriately in all five areas. Nearly 29% of our um, are experiencing great difficulty in one or more. And um, nearly 15% are experiencing great difficulty in two or more. And I just want to make sure you know this does not include children with special needs. So let's look at Lethbridge. And these are Lethbridge's results when we break it down into the five pie charts so you can actually see uh, physical health and well being, social competence, emotional maturity, language and physical skills again, and communication and general knowledge. Now, one of the things that the coalition did here in the province, or in, in Lethbridge, is they actually said we don't want to just get a and the overall view of how all of Lethbridge is doing, they actually broke it down into sub-communities. So I'm gonna give you a quick snapshot of how these sub-communities are, breaking, are broken down. Um, I do have these reports, the reports are online. You can get information about how well children are doing across the province um, on our website, as well as the actual Lethbridge results if you're interested to go in. School. I'm just gonna send you some teasers to ensure it on time, but I'll just give you a quick snapshot about what that looks like at, uh, in our sub-communities. So with this one, you can actually see the physical health and well-being, and I'm just going to walk away from the mic for a second. the different communities right across uh, the city of Lafruy. So you can actually see there's fairly significant difference in our different communities too as well. So not only is there a difference in our communities across the province, our sub-communities right here in Lethbridge. We actually can see pockets of areas in the city which we need to do some additional work. That's good for us because it gives us an idea of what's happening. We can look at you know, maybe why are we getting some of the results that we're getting, and maybe that'll give us some information on how well we can train what things we can do to make some changes. So this is is actually looking at the uh, social development. Again, you can see the differences across our sub-community. Our emotional maturity. Yeah, so um, so one of the pieces that you can see is that there... There's probably the biggest differences we can see is probably our, our north communities and our central communities are the ones that are probably struggling the most in this area. Like I say, these results are, we do have a couple of copies here. Um, and um, if you want to go online, you can certainly get more information to be able to, to see that. But the significant piece of this is that there's a big difference between our, our sub-communities. Same thing when we actually look at language and, and cognitive, or language and thinking skills. Again, you can see the the, the west side um, shows a little bit stronger within, whereas our uh, if you look at the the center on how well those children and, and the struggles. So the green is doing well, and um, the red or the orange and the blue is is experiencing difficulty or experiencing great difficulty. So you can see again from ser- some fairly significant differences across. Sub-communities. and this is oh, this is communication and general knowledge so overall our our, uh, our community is, is on par for the most part with with uh, the rest of Alberta but if you break it down into the subcommunities, we have little pockets that are really struggling This is another one that actually, so in the bar chart, I'll just, uh, as opposed to the star graphs, so I'll draw your attention to that. So the dark blue, this one will be a little bit more easy, I think, for people to get a sense of. So the dark blue is Canada, or the the blue is Canada. So the dark bar is those that are experiencing uh, difficulty in in one or more areas. The lighter color is experiencing difficulty in two or more areas. So the dark or the blue is Canada. The green is Alberta. The red is actually Lethbridge. And then if you look at the A, B, C, D, and E, so the brown bars are all the different um, sub-communities across the province. So it gives you a little bit of a better look and probably an easier visual for you guys to see. Uh, So you can get a little bit of a sense in regards to um, the differences across Alberta and in our left area. And same thing, this is um, experiencing, or developing appropriately in all five areas. So you can see again, Alberta is the green, Red is Lethbridge, and the, all of the blue are the different sub-communities. You can actually see um, across across the board that you know some of our like uh, leftridge B and C experiencing uh, experiencing developing appropriately. Sorry, developing appropriately in all five areas as down to like close to forty percent. So we also looked at socioeconomic information and so um, that I want you to just know that there's a difference within our city too as well. So the orange is uh, lower socioeconomic whereas the yellow is around medium and the green is is higher. So it's important to know that it wasn't just economics that we looked at. There was 26 variables that we took into consideration that had a direct impact on on the EDI results. And we know that socioeconomic status has a huge impact on how well children are doing. But the important piece to know with this is that the significant number of children who are struggling is actually falling in that middle class. And so we really need to understand that it, this is something that we need to make sure all our children have. Uh, we need to do things differently for them. We also know that resources are tied to outcomes, so we actually look at the resources and try to figure out where are we at and how well are we doing with that too as well. So all of this is in our report. So we, we do know that the, the stronger the, the programs, the, the better the outcomes for children. We actually um, located more than 23,000 resources which directly impact children and families across the state. As you know from Robin, we know that that lays our solid foundation. But the important piece is to understand is that children don't grow up in isolation. It's really important that they, we understand that families are really important for our for young children. But more impor- importantly, we know that each of us plays a role too as well. Um, The importance of uh, communities, all of us have an impact on what's happening, as well as an impact of what society and and some of our uh, policies and impacts that they have, has a huge impact, direct outcomes for our young children. So you can actually look at, we have a return on investment uh, handout, I have it out at the front if you're interested in finding more information about that. Um, But the more important thing is that we know this information now and we need to do something about it. So in summary, we know that thousands of young children in Alberta are are not reaching their potential. This represents a huge loss for us here in Alberta, and we need to do something different. Their recommendations have come out in the final report, there's six of them. Of those six, we currently have, right now, the the government has um, put some monies into continuing the work of the coalition until December of this next year, and they're looking at trying to put a little bit of support in, but do ask us more questions in regards to that. Because in the Q&A afterwards, I'd be happy to tell you about some of the wonderful things that's going on here in Lefford, as well as what some of our recommendations are. So, thank you.